we could actually make coffee decent and consistent, we would own our own coffee shop and not be doing ministry. I can. Give me a Kalita Wave and a Barazza. Yeah, but can you do that on a large scale? Or do you just not anticipate having many customers? <laughs> <laughs> Back to this week's episode. Uh, we've been off for a couple weeks because uh, once once Travis kind of got back from San Francisco, <coughs> as you can tell, the rest of us have been dealing with either sickness or um, just different or things. Sickness. Or sickness. Yeah, mostly it's just been sickness. And that's the beauty of cold and flu season, um, which I think we've now coined COVID, RSV, and flu season. So I think that's now we've taken the, t- the general term cold and we have given it more specific terms of like, oh, this is what it means when we say cold. You actually have a virus, and it's a sucky virus. And so, um, but we know that a lot of people are out with flu right now. Uh, my household's sick again, so that's cool. That's been the third or fourth time in a month, so that's awesome. Um, yeah, we're uh, you know we're getting ready to go see felicia's family and it's like every time we go out to california one of us gets sick so <laughs> well that's right because ellie got sick last time coming back yeah like a year ago and we had to drive back because at that point the airlines were still a little more covid cautious and so and that's like a 48 hour drive isn't it it was only like 32 or something like that but, but yeah with, but with a kid it feels like a week and a half oh, yeah it took forever yeah but we we've finally kind of come back the other issue that we ran into as well, we, where we could really use y'all's help, uh, we've kind of run out of ideas. Like we, <laughs> we, we were talking about that the other day that we wish that we had some more kind of topics from you guys that we could look at and cover, uh, just things that are on your heart and mind, because it really helps us out uh, instead of having to think on the fly and come through some stuff. Being actually able to think about what you guys are dealing with, what you're considering, um, because we we got several topics that we love to talk about, but we just don't know if anybody else wants to hear it, and so that's kind of where we are as it comes to that. So if you've got any ideas that you have for a podcast uh, episode that we could kind of drum up and and kind of look at, let us know. Like we're pretty approachable people, um, and usually we take every idea and go, "Huh, that could work." So. We're not so closed off that we don't want your input. We actually thrive better on your input. So give us some thoughts. Give us some ideas. You can email us. You can find us on Sundays. You can call up here at the church office, whatever it looks like. Uh, but just definitely let us know. Um, where was that going? Oh, oh, I did get an email response from our last podcast. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You're going to love it. Oh, gosh. I'll show you who, and I won't tell you what. You will when we're like off air, right? Uh, no, I'm going to tell you right now. Um, <laughs> oh, the who? No, I'm going to tell you the who. Uh, but they listened to it. They loved it. And they were they were driving back. It was a couple and they were driving back from somewhere. And they said, love the content, love the stories. But they said that you say the word like a bunch. <laughs> they said they counted like a hundred times that oh, you gosh. said the word like in 20 minutes. <laughs> And now I'm self-conscious. Let's stop the podcast. You're fine. Don't worry about it. Um, but they're listening. So that's good. But it doesn't help that they were like a former English teacher, I think, too. So That they were like a former English teacher? Like, you know. Kind of like. Sim- similar to. <laughs> what, if, what if we did? What if we just... What if we could like autocorrect ourselves to where instead of saying the word like, we say... Similar to... It's like on Microsoft Word where it gives you a suggestion. Like, you should say this instead. <laughs> like a thesaurus, like a built-in thesaurus. Do you want to say that word? Uh, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> so uh, we're going <laughs> to have to start saying stuff like that. Maybe it'll make us sound smarter if we... No, we're going to sound like we're trying to be smart and sound stupid. I mean, we're going to sound like we we just came out of a trash can anyway. So I think most days I wake up and I sound like Oscar the Grouch. Like, I don't think that I wake up and... Or maybe Count Dracula. I promise. <laughs> some Something off Sesame Street. We were both half asleep from having kids who aren't sleeping and trying to make it through the day with coffee. Yeah, but we do have good coffee today. We do. 
yeah. getting even better as it cools. It's getting better as it cools. And uh, so today's coffee is we brewed it through a Chemex and it comes directly from Seattle, Washington, which is cool. And it comes from a former church member of Calvary Baptist Church, former youth and college student as well. Uh, it's from a company called Onda Origins, O-N-D-A Origins, and their head roaster for the company is a lady that you might know by the name of Sarah Johnson. Sarah has helped do worship here. She's helped do different things over the years and uh, been an active part of our church, uh, living in Seattle and just kind of started in this company doing shipping. Uh, she did shipping and, and packaging and things like that. Then they started testing her out on roasting. She was assistant roaster for a while, but now she's head roaster for that company. And we're super excited about that. So she sent us an El Salvador um, that she roasted a while back ago. We, we just haven't had a podcast, but um, as it's cooling, it's gotten much better. So either it's like milk chocolate notes and honey. Yeah. Maybe like a little raspberry or something. Yeah. And I think the, the interesting part to me is uh, when we first tasted it, we were like, whoa, we broke this. Like we did something <laughs> wrong. Here. Super bright. It was super and bright acidic. and acidic. But now as it's cool, it's gotten to be a much better cup. And mm-hmm. so really appreciate it. I wondered too if it's those natural filters versus the bleached filters. We're saying that a lot. It's got to be something without we're pouring. It's got to be. We got to look up a new recipe or something. Well, we've gotten to a point where we just kind of laissez-faire. So it's it's our fault. My friend Blake just created his own Chemex recipe that's a mix of Onyx and Stumptown's recipes. So I should probably ask him for that and we can try it. It's really interesting that we talk about coffee brewing recipe. Like most people just dump like tablespoons of Folgers <laughs> into a filter and they're like, made coffee. Here's hot water. Yeah, but but we're going, oh, well, you have to have this many grams of coffee versus this many grams and there's this ratio. And then you do this first pour to get the bloom. And then once the bloom's done, you do it to this many seconds and then you... We this can, is the repeat conversation that people don't want to hear that we keep going to because we have nothing to talk about. No, we do. We have stuff to talk about today. But um, but yeah, so when we talk about coffee recipes, maybe that's something we need to just have like a Saturday where a Saturday morning with some donuts where people can come up and just be like, okay, when we talk about coffee, here's what we're talking about. And, and that way they at least have some context to what's going on. And we can record a podcast episode with them in the room. That'd be funny. It'd be fun. Yeah. But we do have stuff to talk about today, and mainly it's come from, um, I was in our church library, um, which if you ever want a book that you just think, hmm, let me just pick that one up. I went to our church library. I found this book from, it's really 1989, but re-released in this version is 1990. It's still around today. They keep copying it, printing it, and copying it, printing it. Um, but it's by a guy named Stephen Covey, and it's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Super neat book. I remember reading it in seminary. And one of the things that I loved about this book was he does give you kind of some steps and ways to manage your time, manage your priorities, manage your tasks and things like that. But then in the middle of it, there's these little nuggets that when you look at it from a church or minister standpoint, you go, oh my gosh, like I didn't even recognize that was in there. And one of the ones that we're looking at today, um, like yesterday, I think I posted yesterday about the the mm-hmm. purpose of organizational mission statements and why those are so important because it provides buy-in for the people uh, within the organization and, and things like that. And how that translates over to church is real interesting because when when the church understands that there's a, a, a position or a purpose that they're they're pursuing or they're going after, it's amazing how quickly they center themselves around that. But then I started reading a little bit further because I kind of skimmed around in it and skipped around in it. Um, and I'm a, uh, I can find it so easily because I'm a spine bender. Are you a spine bender? I try not to. Yeah, I'm a spine. Like I'm a, if it can't fold over on itself, like I didn't do a very good job. Yeah, like, no, my heart kind of hurts with how really? you're handling that book. Yeah, really? But it's like, I, it doesn't bother me. Maybe I'm one of those. I mean, ones I, if it's an old, cheap copy or something, you know, whatever. But if it's like a brand new, nice book, I try to keep it that oh, way. I have to. I have to. Like the first thing I do is I almost flip to the middle. I bend that joker in half no. because I I want it to lay flat. 
Like I want it to lay like this. I don't want to have to look at it and go, hmm, let me hold this up in the air and have it all wonky. I don't like that. So I'm a spine bender and that's my rebellious uh, state when I've lost my place because I bent the spine. <laughs> spine. But anyways, uh, so one of the sections that I came across was a section on different types of centeredness that people have, um, especially when it comes to a lot of the uh, organizational things that we do and helping us find our center because that's really one of the big things that we talk about in leadership circles is as individuals helping you find your center. What's most important? What's your priority? What are things to you? It doesn't just involve a person or a personal level, but it's also an organizational level. Maybe even organizations have kind of a centeredness. Um, but one of the things he talks about in this book is uh, church centeredness. That's an interesting one to me to find in the middle of a leadership book about organizations because he just came off the heels before that talking about uh, friend and enemy centeredness, work centeredness, possession centeredness. So kind of that understanding of like what we define as our center, but that some people have like a church centeredness. And he does speak from a perspective of his faith background and kind of where he's drawing from, where he's coming from in this. Um but one of the, some of the things that stuck out to me in this, um, I mean, just golly, it's like every sentence, because I think I highlighted like half of this <laughs> when I was reading through it. But even just the first part of talking about church centeredness, he says, Stephen Covey writes, he says, I believe that almost anyone who is seriously involved in any church will recognize that church going is not synonymous with personal spirituality. That's the first line to introduce this whole idea. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Well, he wrote that, you know, 34, whatever years ago. We're talking about the height of like church growth, though. I mean, kind of where it, it peaked. But but how applicable is that to the young people that say they're spiritual but not religious? Oh, yeah. Right? Like I'm thinking of the people that I work with in particular. Talking uh-huh. about me, right? No, talking about <laughs> Gen Zers. Oh, yeah. And how many of them would consider themselves a spiritual person, but they have nothing to do with the church. Yeah. But that's, that's true. I think when you look at Gen Z and even, uh, I would say young millennials, you're going to find that relationship of, I mean, they'll tell you, I don't need church to be spiritual. This was something that I think was happening though. When I was even in high school, like I remember going to different concerts and different bands and seeing different things. And these guys were, you know, coming out of youth groups or coming out of churches and they would even say like, I'm spiritual, but the, the church as a whole, the system as a whole doesn't provide anything for my spirituality. So that was, that's an interesting take because he's, he's coming at it from this leadership perspective of he's addressing how we can get, dumped into the organization and in the process of getting dumped into the organization, neglect the product of what the organization should be doing. And he goes into that a little bit further later. So my mind jumps straight to Gen Z and I think you were right about young millennials too, but how do you think that sentence applies to boomers and Gen X? Because obviously it was written more with them in mind. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I think it's heavy in, in the boomer phase and boomers don't want to admit that obviously, but how do you think that plays out? Well, we talk about it some in in our staff of just that idea that back in this time, you know, you get back into the mid to late 80s, early 90s, any time that there was a program or event or something going on at the church, people showed up. Like it was it was a part of their schedule and it was a part of their life that they allowed that to be that way. But how much of the divorce rate within the Christian home did we see during that time? How much of the um People my age, you know, I, technically millennial, but really kind of in between like Gen X millennial, how many of that group has walked away from organized religion or organized church? I even think of people, the, generations above me have walked away from organized church because it just wasn't applicable to them anymore. So I think that the, but what happened is the church still believed at that time that if you show up to church, you're going to grow spiritually right? And we still believe that, I think, to an extent today. If you show up here on a Sunday morning, man, you are 
awesome. Like you're growing in the Lord. You are faithfully growing the Lord. And really, I think some people sitting in our, our, I say pews, but chairs on Sunday morning are more skeptics than they are um, devout followers of Jesus. Like their relationship with Jesus is highly dependent upon what they see the individuals of the church doing because they want to follow Jesus, but they're, they're kind of like what we talk about all the time. Uh, are the people of the church something I want to be following? Because if we're supposed to be a direct reflection of Jesus and we're not doing that, then that's where it, it kind of becomes a problem. But I think one of the things too, that as he goes further in there, he says there are some people who get so busy in church worship and projects that they become insensitive to the pressing human needs that surround them, contradicting the very precepts they profess to believe deeply. That one, I think, was probably the chord that struck home to me a lot because I remember doing youth ministry and feeling like I had to put on an event or put on some sort of a program or put on some sort of a thing to keep people interested in what was going on, keep them busy and active that it was hard to really see how the relationship that we had as a church could, or as a youth group could even play out within our community and how that could work within um, just us sharing the gospel on a regular basis. To me, that one I think really struck home because um, when you look at that from that perspective, all we really are doing at times is keeping people busy and keeping them here. So then the metric of success for us becomes attendance and not so much the the spiritual liveliness or the spiritual vibrancy that people have. Well, and I think that's why you see a decrease in the younger generations in their church attendance. It's because they don't feel like the church is actually meeting their needs. And I get that. I mean, I think that even for me as a 38-year-old uh, grown up in church my whole life. I think there are moments where I, I attend church on Sundays or I attend midweek Bible studies and I go, man, this is just not like this week. It's not applicable to where I'm at. And there are moments where I can stand there and sing worship songs and go, golly, I'm just, I'm not there in that worship song today. Or brother Paul will be up there preaching and I'm just like, okay, like I get your message. But to me this week, it's just, it's not where I'm at. Well, and to play devil's advocate, I think there's a healthy <laughs> level of saying sometimes it's not about you. Yeah. And sometimes like you're just learning something about the Old Testament that you should know as historical factor, what have you. But I do think I had coffee with a college student yesterday um, who I would love to see involved here. But this individual believes in God. I'm pretty sure could explain the gospel in a way that we would agree with is politically conservative. Yeah. Like personality would fit in here. Right. But this individual just wants nothing to do with the church. Yeah. And I hear a lot of older people saying like, well, why don't they want to be here? Yeah. And I do think we have to, not just make it all about our needs or wants. But I think younger people are struggling with different things that the church hasn't done a good job at addressing. Right. Um, well, because the so church... That, that line where he says they're insensitive to the pressing human needs that surround them. Well, because again, the church's solution for a long time, we've got $500 let's throw money at the problem. I mean, that was, that's kind of the overarching theme that I think church has a lot of times is that, Oh, well let's throw money at the problem instead of us getting our hands dirty and trying to figure out a solution, like getting to know people. Well, what if we just, especially when I think when it's like talking from your perspective, when it comes to younger generations, it's, well, let's just do a youth revival and the, the teenagers will come. Not, not no, any, they won't. Not anymore. Yeah, I mean, some thirty years ago, maybe the people who come will be the ones that were already coming. Right, right. And you might have a few stragglers in there because I remember maybe. doing. I remember doing youth revivals, 
I remember as a teenager, which this would have been me in, in this era when this book was written, doing youth revivals and having like 150, 200 of your friends showing up. But I mean, we're, were, we're planning were the winter retreat right now. And we might have a few people come with us that typically wouldn't. But I think that's more because it's called a retreat. If right. you called it a revival, yeah. I don't think you'd have any non-church people show up. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing that when we look at it from that perspective, when you see it through that lens, when I was growing up, that was a big deal because that was a big event. It was, there was a youth night of the revival where the speaker specifically talked to teenagers and there was a big fellowship of teenagers and there was, you know, door prizes and there was all this stuff. So you, you had all this ability and we would have, different speakers even come in and do like big sessions with our school where you'd have one big rally and a speaker would come in and usually they were there to say, Hey, don't do drugs, you know? Um, but I remember David Nasser came to my school one time and, and spoke to uh, our junior high group and it was just like, Oh cool. And he's like, well, if you want to hear more, like I'm going to be at this church, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that was a big deal for kids at that time. But how many other things do we have that draw our kids' attention away? And we're not just talking about sports. I mean... Smartphones. Yeah, smartphones. I mean, kids nowadays, you're having them in like fifth grade. The distraction is limitless. Grade, five in kindergarten. Like, they're five in kindergarten. And they're having smartphones already. Like, my daughter knows how to run a smartphone. You know? My two-year-old knows how to get on there and try to make emergency phone calls. That's about all she can do. <laughs> Um, but even then think about the other distractions that are just there. Homework, that continual pressure of homework is a big distraction in a kid's life. And then I did see an interesting quote about that too, about since we can talk about public school for a second, um, which I don't hate public school. I just don't want to put my kids in public school, but they said that, uh, one of the things in leadership was, you know, we ask you we, we ask adults not to take work home to their family, but those same adults were raised in a system that took work home. And so they said, what did you expect was going to happen? You tell people not to take work home, but you, you've been teaching them for 12 years. Well, here's your work that you got to do at home and bring it back tomorrow. Interesting idea. Yeah. I don't really know how I feel about Education in general. You should do it. But well, the I'm method by which you do sure, it. <laughs> sure. I'm, I'm trying to think through what I want to say here. I don't think we typically challenge our kids enough. Now, there's obviously a certain level of pressure that's unhealthy. You can see that with anxiety and high-performing kids. Yeah. But also, C.S. Lewis was fluent in Greek at age three. And I get that he was C.S. Lewis, but the fact that there was even schools in Britain that were teaching three-year-olds Greek, yeah, like our standards <laughs> have, that? our standards have fallen <laughs> dramatically. There's a school in London right now. This is completely getting off topic, but while, while you brought up the school stuff, there's a school in London who has kind of gone back to that super old school strict way, and they have middle school and high school students that are more intelligent than the average U.S. college student. That's awesome they're not allowed to have phones. Like they almost use zero technology. Um, it's super old school and strict, but these kids are performing at ridiculously high achieving levels. Oh yeah. Um, and their mental health is better. And so it's just, it's super interesting. That, that's a whole other conversation, but <laughs> that'd be a cool conversation. I think though it does boil back down to like, even talking from like a leadership standpoint and even a church standpoint, say that organizations such as school or such as churches, what if we just utilized our time better? Like what if, what if, what if the time that we utilize was just better? I think the reason that churches do a lot of this busy programming and stuff is because we just don't utilize our time. Like we, we have small windows, usually about two to three hours a week that we get to cram as much spiritual interaction into a person's life as they can, or as we can. What if we used our time better? And this is way out of the box. And, and I always try to think out of the box. What if Sunday school wasn't a thing? 
Like what if Sunday morning for that hour that it was more of just a time of getting out in your community and, and doing something like what if for one Sunday a month, your church didn't meet and fellowship together in that way. But one Sunday a month, your church went out and did multiple mission projects for that two hours instead of meeting, worshiping, preaching, collecting money. You know, I mean, again, that's way outside of the box, but think about, think about the, life of the early church in the book of acts it wasn't that they specified that one day as being more holy than the other yes you do see that in the sabbath day you but do it also see, says they met daily yeah but they met regularly <laughs> if we as a church intentionally found ways to meet regularly then sunday can become more of a practical day as opposed to a go to the gas station and fill up with gas for the week type day it becomes more practical and more purposeful Whereas we're, and, and because we're using Monday through Saturday for that spiritual nourishment and growth, and we're, uh, we're pouring that out uh, practically on Sunday. And he does get back down into that where he says, um, he's talking about attending church his whole life, organized church, community service groups, and things like that. He says that he f- he's found that attending church does not necessarily mean living the principles taught in those meetings. My, the next one I highlighted and then I marked it again because I, for somehow I want to put this on a sign and I want to put it in my office. Like I want it to be poster size. Like I want people to come to my office and go, Oh, that's a cool looking poster. And then read it and go, Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, he says this line, he says, you can be active in a church, but inactive in its gospel. It reminds me of that line from the second Corinthians passage that I preached out of a couple of weeks ago where he talks about receiving the grace of God in vain. Yeah. It's just like, ouch. 100%. You can, I mean, you can be active in a church, but inactive in its gospel. And I think that one of the struggles we talk about it within, especially in the Western church, how many people claim Christianity, but are completely inactive in the role and responsibility of what Jesus called us to do. Like, just not there. They they do a really good job at being a church member, but a really terrible job at being a child of God in the kingdom of God manifested here on earth. Well, you think about if you if you broaden it to everyone who claims to be a Christian, you know, Catholic, Orthodox, the whole bit. It's over two billion people. Yeah. And whenever the early church started to be called Christians. The The world was almost making fun of them, like, you little Christs. Yeah. Does it feel like there are two billion little Jesuses walking around the planet? Oh, no. Definitely not. No. Turn on the news. Yeah. Not at all. I think it's a priority shift, and I think that that's the reality that we in the church have done, especially leadership of churches, We've done a terrible job of equating um, thriving spirituality with active church membership. Like we, we do that. We say, you're doing really good because you're an active church member. But is that true? Like, would I be a good staff member of a church if I never opened God's word, never shared that word with anyone in the community um, never made it a priority to live on mission and on a personal level, didn't lead my family. No, as a staff member, y'all go, oh, you're, you suck. You're terrible. You know, then why is it that we have reduced active or vibrant Christianity? Why have we reduced vibrant Christianity down to active church membership? I mean, how many people did we just remove from our roles and move them to inactive in membership? because they haven't been here in like 13 or 14 years, but we can't delete them off our role because, well, what if they come back one day? You know, I I think that there's even that aspect where we've kind of stepped back and said, does that mean that they are, I mean, if we even have standards for what an active church member looks like, you know, you've joked about how I'm not Baptist in some areas and membership is one of them. I think we need to be far more strict on what is a, what is a member and how easy it is to make someone not a member. I I'm one of those guys where if it were up to me, membership role would start over in January of every year. I mean, 
<laughs> I just you have to sign a contract. I want to be here. I want to be involved. And if I'm you, yeah, you gone make it, for more than X amount of days, then I am not an active member. You make it a full service of just a amazing ability to say you are pledging to be in fellowship with one another here. Like you're pledging to be an active part of the fellowship here and to do the work that's going on here. Not saying that we are asking you to show up every day. You got to make sure you give this much money. You got to make sure that you are serving on this many committees or on this many teams. Or, you know, if there's a paint day, like you have to show up to paint that day. None it's of It's just being an, an active part of the fellowship and the community of what's going on. And I think that's what spurs in my mind about that, that you can be active in church, but inactive in the gospel. The big, one of the bigger parts of the gospels, or at least of the, the writings of God and, and the word of God is that we talked about, we can't neglect meeting together. We can't neglect that meeting together. But if we go back to the book of Acts, that meeting together was regular daily, not just weekly, but daily. So I think that there has to be a reassessment and a readjustment of that. And we're not talking about anything new. This is not a new conversation that's been had in Christian leadership circles. This is just... Well, I think this also has to do with what Dallas Willard really hit home on in the divine conspiracy of for so long, the idea of the gospel and the kingdom of heaven is just heaven when you die. Yeah. Versus what Jesus taught of the kingdom of heaven is near or at hand. Yeah. I mean, even in in the Lord's prayer that we talk about all the time. So we've, we've limited what it means to be a Christian or what it means to think of the kingdom of God being at hand, not just meaning accessible to those who, you know, accept the gospel. And then when they die, they go to heaven, but there is an actual, you know, Jesus's words again, John 10, uh, abundant life that you can experience here and when you don't experience it well that's a failure on the church yeah and it is an interesting piece because getting back down to even further of what he's talking about here I guess because the next paragraph right underneath that golly is almost kind of right at home what we've just been talking about of our even us as leaders the way that we label and the way that we consider people He says, in the church-centered life, image or appearance can become a person's dominant consideration, leading to hypocrisy that undermines personal security and intrinsic worth. I think think when we talk about that church-centered life, really that active membership within a church, it can, I think, make people feel like when they miss a Sunday, like we've talked with people in the past that said, man, we just feel so bad. Like we want to join your church, but there's some Sundays we got to be out for family stuff. Okay. And so what, you know, and I think that, but how much have people now tied their spiritual worth to church attendance? Is that a a fault of leadership of churches or is that just a fault of culture? Yeah. I mean, I think their rationale is the expectation is I have to be here every single week. And clearly there is a principle. I think you quoted it from Hebrews talking about don't neglect the meeting of the saints. Yeah. But even I'm going to miss a couple of Sundays a year when we go out to California to see Felicia's family. Yeah. So if you have to miss because of something like that, it's when we're talking about taking membership seriously, that doesn't mean you have to have like a 100% attendance record. I missed two Wednesday nights in a row. Yeah. And it it was because of sick, sick kids. Like I gotta be, I can't bring them up here and get other kids sick. Like that's not fun. You know, as, as pa- someone with a kid in the nursery, thank you. Yeah. I mean, parents aren't going to look at me and go, don't do that. Like I got one sick today. I'm debating about whether I can even be here tonight. And I got to figure that piece out in the next like two hours. But I mean, just the, the way that people, the way that we as a church have said, oh, you're, and then it gets to, oh, I'm sorry. It gets in that second part where he says guidance comes from a social conscience. And the church-centered person tends to label others artificially in terms of, and we've used a bunch of these, active, inactive, liberal, orthodox, or conservative. So he's pretty much just saying, as a church-centered person, we compartmentalize people and we begin to label people, oh, yeah, they go to church, they're active church members. Well, they're inactive members here. Oh, they're liberal in their theology. Oh, they're 
orthodox in the way that they follow Jesus. Oh, they're conservative. And so we then as churches begin to place those labels on people and limit, I think, people's ability to even be a part of a church. Yeah, because we value certain boxes that we prefer. Yeah. But in doing that, if someone doesn't fall in the boxes that you want, you are limiting the spread of the gospel Yeah, by judging them where they're at. Well, and you look at what Jesus warns about and you look at what Paul warns about. It wasn't that Paul said, hey, I need you to look out for the orthodox ones, okay? I mean, we could say that. We could say that there was some 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 scripture in there that definitely refers to you know, not being pharisaical. Like, we don't want you to be legalistic. We don't want you to be pharisaical. Well, and he does say to watch your doctrine. Yeah, watch your doctrine. But generally, when they began to label in the New Testament, it was right and wrong. <laughs> you're either a true teacher of the word of God or you're a false prophet or a false teacher. Be careful of those. And so I think really the hard part is we've kind of decided that that wasn't enough labeling, I guess. And so we began to expand that out. Now we can see that false teaching does come. And and generally there are things that we use label wise that we can kind of put in the camp of false teaching. When people are very liberal with God's word, it opens up a Pandora's box of ideologies and theology that may not match all of scripture. I think even though, but I still think that even on a conservative spectrum, there are a lot of things that even we as conservative Christians do that do not fall within scripture. And that's also dangerous. And I think the responsibility must come that whatever that label looks like, we're always balancing ourselves against God's word. And I think that that's one of the things that the church can neglect sometimes. Our church isn't as bad about this, and I'm very thankful, but I've known churches that, you know, the ability for it to move and do is based on their policies and bylaws and less about God's word. Our church isn't like that so much, and I'm thankful for that. We use that as a guideline, and even Paul talked about it yesterday with our budget. I mean, Paul even said in our staff meeting that, you know, budget is a guideline. It's not the end-all, be-all. If ministry needs to happen, it needs to happen, but it's not the overall, like, this is, I mean, he, but even our policies and our bylaws, we want to make sure that we have things in there that keep us protected, I think, as a church. We want to make sure that we have things in there that, that keep us protected in our culture and in our surrounding. But the reality is, is it's not the word of God and we don't treat it as it is. But I know churches that, man, their policies and their bylaws, that is God's word and you will not adjust it. And I think that that's kind of a dangerous thing too that churches can get into. Yeah, well, if you think about the terms liberal and conservative <laughs> from, a, yeah. from a psychological standpoint, not from a political one, yeah, um, I think people tend to forget that conservative... Um, would be a good way to describe the Pharisees. Yeah, but like I, they were very conservative when it came to obeying the law to the point where they added descriptions to it that were not actually part of it, but they were trying to preserve the Torah. They were trying to observe the practice. And well, they were the ones that Jesus was frequently the most frustrated with. Well, and And I'm not saying that means we need to be liberal because it doesn't. You know, that's Paul's watch your doctrine. But yeah. on the other hand, if you get so conservative that you're following your, you know, like you're saying, like the church's uh, policies and bylaws and all that more than actually doing the ministry that we're called to do, well, then the pendulum has swung too far on the conservatives. Well, yeah, because even think about like the Pharisees, like I always go back to, I think it's in Luke, Luke or John, where you see Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead and now Lazarus is kind of teaming up with Jesus doing ministry and the Pharisees kind of see this where before they just saw Jesus as a problem, but now they've got Lazarus and people are coming to Jesus because of Lazarus and they're lying in that in order for them to preserve and save. And this is kind of the basis for when I talk about congregational anxiety, this is kind of that verse I use for the basis of it. Um, you, you see that their desire to preserve and keep things the way they've always been. They say it's not enough for us to kill Jesus. We now must kill this other guy that's already been dead. Like we got to kill him too. 
Oh my gosh. Like not even stopping to think that this guy was dead and was raised from the dead. Like, do you really think that's going to (laughs) help? Yeah. Like they're, they're literally looking at a life brought back and they're going, Oh, you just missed the miracle. They just, yeah, they, they missed the whole thing. And I wonder sometimes in our churches, how many times we miss that miracle because we're too busy trying to keep our own things going as opposed to the things of God. We're too busy labeling people in one camp, you know, Oh, well, you know, they're, they, they're homosexual and you know, we can't really accept them. Well, what if they're at that, at that point in their life where they're going, they're questioning and they're saying, I don't really know if the decisions I'm making are what God wants me to make. You know, why are we not walking alongside them and saying, can we help you figure this out? I mean, I still think of the, the Rosaria Butterfield and just her story about wanting to tear down the church as a whole as an amazing professor and being invited into a pastor's home and just through the invitation of a pastor's home and the hospitality, hospitality this family showed. She's like, man, that, that changed it for me. That was the gospel for me. Just yeah, hospitality. Her, her story is beautiful. Yeah. That's a, and that's a great book. Rosaria Butterfield. If you're interested, it's a, uh, I think it's the gospel comes with a house key. Yeah. Um, well, she's reading that right now. Such a good book. Such a good book. Um, I've given that copy away a few times. Just like here, you need this, especially people that do hospitality management at SFA. I'm like, let's really get into the core and the essence of what, what your degree can, can show you. Um, so anyway, then he goes a little bit further and we w- we don't want to take terribly long because we're kind of already, I don't even know how many minutes we're in, but we'll figure it out later. Um, he goes further in that talking about the church um, because the church is a formal organization made up of policies, programs, practices, and people. He says it cannot by itself give a person any deep permanent security or sense of intrinsic worth that living the principles taught by the church can do this, but the organization alone cannot. I, I resonate with this when I, when people say Christian music, like that, that's one of the things I resonate with because I think music can be spiritual in its essence, but it can't be, um, it can't be inherently Christian. Does that make sense? Like music is music and the lyrics behind that can be a spiritual point that, that speaks about God and speaks to the truth of God and speaks about the relationship of God to everyday life. I think that in a spiritual sense, that what we we call contemporary Christian music, it can do that, um, but I think it's not overtly like this. It, it, it's not like it's an organization that can deeply and permanently um, give you that that worth or that value. Um, in well, other words, let me see if this is what you're saying. Yeah, it may or may not be. I think it's possible for somebody to have on say their car radio or iPod or whatever, Christian music. Yes. But not be worshiping. They could be worshiping. Yeah. In that sense, it would be something personally spiritual. Yeah. But they're not. It's like this. Music that we consider and call Christian music can move me, but it cannot save me. Oh, sure. And I think church can move you, but it cannot save you comes down to the person's choices and responsibility and right there's music that i listen to even outside of what we would consult what we would call contemporary christian music there's music that operates outside of that that i think can still move me and can draw up spiritual emotion in me that that points my relationship that points me back to a relationship with god and sometimes music that i hear the brokenness of people and i hear the despair of people it drives me further to go, wow, how much more should we be adamant about the gospel? Because this person is singing or speaking out of a position of despair in their life. Shouldn't I want to hear that story? Shouldn't that story drive me further to go, wow, we are in such a broken world. And it's such a great reminder of that sometimes. Well, that's why I think from both of our backgrounds, the best, if you want to call them evangelist, best evangelists that I've ever seen were in the Christian hardcore and metal scenes. Oh yeah. So like sleeping giant, for example, is a band they don't tour anymore, but this was a Christian hardcore band that would go play in bars and tattoo parlors and every other, uh, CD place that you can imagine. And they would talk about the gospel and they would, when they were on tour, they would bring a cattle trough with them. And then after the show, they would give a 
like a, a time of invitation and people would go get baptized at their shows. Yeah. I mean, and, and that happened like every night of the week. I had a buddy playing in a band and, um, he essentially right before they went on a tour, got kicked out because the band was like, Hey man, we just, we understand that Jesus is really doing a work in you, but we really don't want you like preaching that as much as you've been doing on stage. And he's like, well, <laughs> I mean, if that's the case, I'm out. Like, that's not how this is going to work. But I think that that's one of the things that you have to put that in, in right perspective. And I really think it comes down to right perspective. Music cannot inherently save you. It can point you towards Jesus. It can give you an experience, like a spiritual experience to go, wow, isn't God good? But it is it is the deep relationship with Jesus that keeps us motivated and going. Looking at it from that church perspective, being here every single Sunday and being like active as a deacon or active on a committee or tithing, you know, 50% of your income and all that, that's not going to save you. And so that's what I love about this, that living the principles taught by the church uh, can do this, but the organization alone cannot. It puts in perspective that as a church, we need to be teaching the principles of the gospel and allowing the outflow of the meeting here to be what moves you. But I think it's the, the church itself, just being a part of a church, it's not going to bring you salvation. It might give you an experience to help you elevate your life towards Jesus, but it is not Jesus. Does that make sense? No, it does. And I'm thinking even after the point of salvation, I think we've dropped the ball largely on spiritual disciplines. So going back to that abundant life that Jesus offers, I think a lot of people, even saved people, don't feel like they have abundant life. But I think that's because of what he's saying here. Um, These principles taught by the church can give you abundant life, but just being part of the organization, just showing up on Sunday does not mean that you will feel the abundant life. You have to have, you know, whether you call it a quiet time or devotional or whatever you want to do, you have to put those things into practice. And, and that's a, and that's a big piece that people don't understand. And that's what jumps into that next section where he talks about, um, he throws another one out there and, and it's really, it's weird. We're only talking about maybe, he writes this and it's maybe like 300 words. Like it's not long at all. Like it could fit on one page, but he even just says this, that church centered people often tend to live in compartments, acting and thinking and feeling in certain ways on the Sabbath and in totally different ways uh, on weekdays. So pretty much this is the same thing as Francis Schaefer and Nancy Pierce. He talk about in their worldview about the two story house and the way that we live in different compartments of our life. And we only allow those compartments to be lived in, in the times when it's necessary for us to live in them. And so this is a big aspect. I think that he's even talking about here that when we are church centered in our life, especially in our spirituality or in our core, each one of us is going to have different core things in our life. Uh, Even Nancy Smith talks about this in her first place for health group that there's four areas of life that must be attended to. And that's the, the physical, the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. And then those four areas of that core, we're going to do things in those areas. Like physically, you may go to the gym and you may run or you may uh, eat right or whatever and work out. Or be a couch potato. Yeah, or be a couch potato. Yeah, kind of whatever your core. Opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah, if your core is like, you know what, I think I want to relax every day and, and just chill. That's part of it. That also can help in your mental, like mentally you do different things to allow you to have space in your head to be able to think. Um, emotionally, you've got people that do different things emotionally that, that they want to make sure that whatever they're, whatever side of the spectrum they're on at the core, this is what they do to help center that. But then spiritually people tend to even compartmentalize that to say, wait a minute, like I gotta go to church now or whatever to get that spiritual aspect. Every person has some sort of a spiritual aspect. Even if they're not coming to church on a Sunday, there's some sort of spiritual thing that they're practicing. It may be karma. It may be some kind of Eastern meditative type principle works based or yoga or fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Just anything. There's something spiritual that they can, that they do for themselves. Um, 
the the thing that I even loved about Nancy's first place group is the reality of that is Christ is at the center of all of those things. And I think that speaks directly to what he's saying here. Like there's church centered people that their spirituality comes from church, not from, and, and we, when we talk about church, we're not talking about church book of acts type church. We're talking about church organizational, you know, Sunday morning only. Yeah. Sunday morning, Wednesday night. If you're, really spiritual and Sunday night, yeah. if you're really, really spiritual, yeah, super active. But I think that's that compartmentalization where we go, okay, it's Sunday. We have to go to church. And I always think of it like this. My kids go, why do we go to church? Well, it's Sunday. You know, <laughs> I think, I think that's kind of still a common thing that people do. It's like, why do we go to church? Well, it's, it's Sunday, you know? Um, and so, to me, when we look at that, you know, kids are, kids are pretty smart in that way that they give us that understanding of, you know, putting it in perspective. And so for us, you know, with our kids, when they ask that question, it's like, well, why do we go to church? Well, God calls us to do that. Like God calls us to meet together and do those things. And so that's why it's important for us to go. Um, and, and we have to teach them that, that it's not just, oh, we go to church because that's what we do. We go to church because we're, we desperately want to be in fellowship with our friends and with the people that help spur us on, that equip us and encourage us to grow in our relationship with the Lord. And also because God calls us to that. Um, not so much that he just commands us or says, you better do this or, or else. Like there's no spite, that there's no smiting that comes from missing out on church, but God calls us to be a part of that as believers. And so we want to respond to that calling. But I think that that's what happens a lot of times in people's lives is we compartmentalize it to where the Sabbath is the Sabbath and every other day is whatever we want to do. Um, and that's, I think, a dangerous place to be in in your spirituality. I'm debating if I want to go here or not, but last, so we're kind of talking well, we've about... we've got like five listeners, so you got to do... <laughs> Apparently one of them's counting how many times I say the word like. <laughs> um, <laughs> like... Maybe it was, maybe they couldn't distinguish between our voices and it was like the two of us combined. No, that's not true. But uh, <laughs> in Sunday school with the youth, we've been talking about some of the spiritual disciplines lately. And last week was on Sabbath. So it was interesting to me how he talks about how they might treat Sabbath as differently. But I asked just broadly, do you or your families do anything different other than attending church for Sabbath? And not everybody, but by and large, the answer was no. Yeah. And I also asked, like, how many have you ever even, like, heard a teaching on the Sabbath? Is it different? Why is it different? A couple said they yeah. had even, like, heard the word. And so some of these things I don't think we maybe talk about enough in terms of regular spiritual disciplines and practice. Well, I, I think it's gotten lost over the years. I mean, just like everything else. Think about even just like in the Old Testament to the New Testament, the relational aspects of Levitical law in relationship to obedience to God and in, and in permanence with him. How much of that got lost over the years where even the Apostle Paul's like, you know, talks about how, see, I'm saying like a lot now. That's good. Um, but to where even the Apostle Paul says that this is like perversion. Like it's a perversion of the gospel. It's perversion of what God had. So it's not just, I don't think that this is something that is new. I think this is something that even the God's word addresses. We can quickly become so traditional in our ways that any other way against what we've grown up doing is a sin. You know, it may not be, that may not be true. It may just be different, but that's where we have to also, I think is as individual pastors have to lead people to that understanding. I've seen pastors come into churches and they go, well, this is not what God's word does. And we're just not going to do it that way anymore. Guess what? You're fired, you know? And that's, that's how, that's how that happens. But if you are willing to do the hard work of leading people through that process, you can come out on the other side and, and see something a little more reflective of the new Testament. You're never going to see a new Testament church. The way that I think, the New Testament played it out. Well, that's one of the reasons why I love mission trips is because it shows people church can be done differently in different contexts. Yeah. 
like using San Francisco as an example because I was just there. The sanctuary for that church is a simple room with white walls and chairs. Yeah. And there's a cross in the room, but like that's the only religious yeah. sort of symbol. Like otherwise it just looks like a normal room. And for the inner city, it's not as if they could have just gone and built some massive sanctuary in San Francisco. It's like, but it works. And then I know Mel and Tina just went down to Belize and they spent some time at a new church that is literally meeting under, under a canopy. A canopy. Yeah. Like but a it's tarp. Still church. Yeah. And if I can ever round up some people to go down to Ecuador, it's going to be in a little concrete shack. Yeah. But it's still church and it's beautiful. Well, I even remember there was one, I was looking at Soma church planting for a while years ago because my buddy was a part of one in San Francisco um, and he still reflects to to this day like that's his that was church to him. They really describe themselves as missional communities that they meet weekly to do ministry and missions together. When they get a chance to meet as a whole group, they just try to find a space that's open, and they just grab whatever chairs they can, and that's their worship for that space. I think that that's vastly different from what we see nowadays. And we talked about that, even like Francis Chan's new work of like, you know, just a bunch of little house churches all networked together. They meet in a park every now and then. Yeah. They meet in an open air place and be like, okay, let's worship. But you've got all these little different plants and seeds that have been growing all over the community. And you've got thousands of people that are drawn to that because it takes away a lot of the, takes away a lot of the pressure and the stress of trying to maintain a facility or trying to maintain a building or or buy a facility in the first place yeah and and i get it churches especially in the south churches are a big ministry tool they really are they're synonymous i think with spiritual growth like the building itself is synonymous with that so i understand the need to do that i think it would be interesting to see what it would look like a little bit different but I think that that's one that you're going to have to see the culture change around you. Well, it's great. And obviously we're using it right now and we'll continue to, but I think in the future, especially if the decline of Christianity continues, we'll see more and more and more house churches and community missional communities out of necessity. But well, and speaking of that, you know, um, talking about how on the last paragraph of this section, which really this is a small section, he says that seeing church as an end rather than as a, a means to an end undermines a person's wisdom and sense of balance. So I think for us, that means as church leaders, if all we really anticipate out of a person's spiritual growth is that they come to church and that the church is their catalyst for Jesus, um, instead of seeing church as a means to an end, like it's, it's a part of the process of growing in Christ. He goes a little bit further that says that although the church claims to teach people about the source of power, it does not claim to be that power itself. I think that's true. I think any church that claims any church that claims to be the power for you to experience Jesus, you need to run away from that church. Just run away. Just because you're going to get struck by lightning. <laughs> um, or you're going to drink some Kool-Aid and it's not going to be pretty. But I mean, you, we do see that where how many church leaders have said, oh, you know, I am Jesus, (laughs) you know, and then you drink the Kool-Aid and yeah, it's not as fun. So I think that there are those things that we have to be careful of, but the church can be a way, a vehicle is what he says. He says it claims to be a vehicle through which divine power can be challenged or channeled into man's nature. I think that that's really the aspect that we have to focus on as church leaders that we're not expecting people to come in, I think every single week and just be like completely in awe of the majesty and supremacy of Jesus. And oh my gosh, the, the tile and the carpet and the walls and the sound and the, and the lights. Oh my gosh, I see Jesus here. But I think that we also recognize that you know, the fellowship with other believers is not going to save you. It's going to help you grow in relationship with Jesus, but it's not going to save you. Sunday school class is not going to save you. It's going to help you grow and be equipped in your relationship with Christ. It's going to give you that accountability that you can have, 
but it won't save you. Worship and preaching on a Sunday morning is not going to inherently be salvation. It's going to be a catalyst for that, but it's not going to be that. And so we have to, even I think in our preaching, we have to preach in such a way that we're leading people to the cross every single time, every single message, the gospel has to be presented because we are desperately wanting people to understand that their relationship, that that their world, what they perceive and how they understand the world should be centered on Christ in their life, not the church. Because if your spirituality is based on the church, church attendance, church membership, church as an organization, what happens when that church flounders and falls apart? Well, then your spirituality and everything that you know is crushed completely. That's why when people talk about that, when I interact with them, and they're like, yeah, you know, we used to go to so-and-so church, but all the stuff going on. Okay. Why did you delay in your relationship with the Lord? You know, church or no church, why did you delay in that? And I think that comes to that reality of, well, didn't know. It's almost like that. I didn't know I could be spiritual apart from church. Or even if the church is going really well, it's like, like, um, yeah, I keep catching myself and now I'm counting. Like, like, um, like, 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 even if a there church is going really well, <laughs> the person who is too church centered is basing their spiritual life on one or maybe two days a week. Yeah. And like you're saying, everything we do has to be pointing them to their own personal relationship, which is seven days a week, regardless of their location, Mm -hmm. not just at church. Yeah. I mean, if you want to go fishing on a Sunday morning, cool. I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to come up to you and go, you shouldn't do that. Like you should, you should be in the church house. But there, even that aspect that I I try to remind people of this. Yeah. You have activities and you have a life you're going to go to a kid's ball game during the week yes you're going to do that that doesn't mean you don't have to be the light of jesus because you're doing a different activity teenagers yeah you're going to go to school today 100 like you're going to go to school you're going to have that that doesn't mean you get to stop being the light of christ because you're in school well they don't let me bring my bible Nah, you can bring your bible they don't let me pray out loud you can pray out loud they can't stop you yeah you you have a lot of power to do a lot of things, but I think that that's that thing that we have to remind. Uh, we have to remind people of: you're going to go to work. Work is going to pay you to do a job, but work doesn't get to suppress your spiritual life. You know, work doesn't get to do that. Work that doesn't, doesn't mean you read your Bible your entire eight-hour shift. Yeah, it just means whoever you're interacting with your boss, a client, whoever, that you can hopefully be pointing them to Jesus in some form or fashion. Well, and and even the Apostle Paul isn't saying, read your Bible 24-7, don't do anything else. I mean, throughout your day, as you're doing, if you know God's word, you can recall it when you need to. You don't have to have it open. If you are in a situation that that warrants prayer, you can do that. Um. One of the things that I always think about is I'm, I may not be reading my Bible every second of the day. And I know as a pastor, well, you, you're you not being a very good pastor if you're not doing that. Um, but I'm reflecting on just God's work in my life and in my family and in my church and in my town. And every time I'm out and about, I'm looking for opportunities of where God is moving. You know, can we meet him in that place and do the things? So there's that aspect too that we have to be looking at that sometimes it's not so much that we have to read the Bible every single day or every moment of every single day. Um, but I think that we have to be mindful of God's relationship in our life. Be mindful of how that works. Don't limit our spirituality to one to two days a week, but open it, expand ourselves. And it's going to require work and it's going to require a different frame of mind. You have to be willing to do that. Uh, and I just don't know how many people want to alter their lives around that. Um, and so I, I, I kind of treat it like this. When we tell parents, you got to be the primary disciples and leaders in your home. Well, gosh, you know, I've been raising my kid now for 15 years. Now you're telling me that I have to do this. Like, how do I even do that? 
I have to adjust my whole routine and the way that I eat dinner and the way that I plan activities. And yes, but it's not impossible. It's not impossible. Small steps. I always think of like that movie, What About Bob? Like baby steps, you know? And he takes it too literal. He's like <laughs> literally taking baby steps out of the office into the elevator. Um, but it is, it's, it's baby steps. Maybe you start with dinner time isn't in the living room in front of a TV or everybody in their own individual space. Maybe dinner time is, and you start maybe one or two days a week, like, okay, we're going to meet at the table and we're not going to have phones out. And we're just going to talk about our day. Simple stuff like that. Um, so yeah. So I think that there's, there's possibilities here to move away from being intrinsically church centered to more of how do you find your, your spiritual balance in your everyday life. Um, but it was just amazing to me, a, a book called the seven habits of highly effective people. And within the middle of that book, there's this massive nugget about making sure that you are not being church centered, but that you are allowing your spiritual life to be just in the hands of God. So anyway, what else you got? You got anything else on that? Good stuff. You're done. Aren't I'm you? done. You're done. You're so tired. He's trying to stay awake over here. The coffee has not kicked in yet, but um, well, again, guys, if, if you're enjoying this, if you didn't enjoy it, let us know because we want to know that too. But if you did enjoy it and you've got some of the topics you want us to cover, by all means, reach out to us. We don't know unless you tell us, we won't understand it unless you say, Hey, this is good. What about this too? Okay, cool. And we don't mind if you want to play devil's advocate and say, Hey, I know you said this, but that was kind of mean. What about on this spectrum? Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Um, we have, we have no problems with that. So let us know anything that you have and, um, fall festivals coming up this next week. Don't forget to be a part of that. We want to encourage you to do that. But other than that, guys, we hope that you have a good week. We hope that things go well for you and that you have a blessed week and we will see you next time.